brother. I appreciate your ministry. I I love Tony's music, but most of all, I love his heart. And I love his spirit. He loves Christ. He loves people. And as he said, the trials that we go through shape us. And I appreciate him so much. Um, thank you, uh, Cheryl, and those that helped you. I'm sorry? Pardon? Yeah. Kelly and Kelly for uh, fixing the auditorium up. Uh, it looks so nice, and I really appreciate it for what you did for us. It's beautiful. I want you to open your Bible to Proverbs this morning, uh, chapter 13. <clears throat> Steve Ramont, can you hear me back there? Are we good? Okay, thank you. My voice is a little weak this morning. Proverbs chapter 13 and Numbers chapter 21. And we will look in that order and look at some other verses that we'll put up on the screen so it can move quickly this morning. When I was 15 years old in 1973, I, in the spring of that year, I tried out for the, my high school football team at Butler High School. And there were a lot of people there from the feeder schools, from Westlawn, Ed White, and Stone. All of those are closed now. They don't even exist anymore. But there were a lot of guys that were there, and they put us through a rough spring training. Then we came in the middle of July. <clears throat> pardon me. Then we came in the middle of July. And then uh, in August, we went into two-a-days where we had practiced twice a day, early in the morning, 5.30 in the morning. And then later that afternoon. And I remember when we came back in the summer that the numbers had dwindled. And then after two days, they dwindled even more. That, that fall of 1974, uh, when I was a sophomore on the team, the school had probably uh, one of the best teams, probably the best team they ever had uh, as far as the individuals on the team. We went down to uh, Legion Field in Birmingham and uh, played Banks High School. Their quarterback was Jeff Rutledge, who went on to play in four Super Bowls and in 14 years in the NFL. And uh, they beat us 8-6. to And they went on to win the state championship. I graduated in 1976. And, of course, the football season's over in the fall, so in the fall of 1975, when I finished, I was doing some thinking about this yesterday, trying to get the exact numbers. There's no way I could know exactly. But pretty accurately, I believe, that from the time that I started in this spring of 1973 um, for football uh, until I graduated, there were about 25% of us left that started. There was a great attrition rate. Everybody wants to stand on the victory stand, but nobody wants to pay the price. Nobody wants to sacrifice. In recent weeks, in fact, in the last couple of months on Sunday mornings, I take you through a journey on the topic of purpose. And I've been talking to you about the importance of purpose. Now, purpose is critical to your success. I gave you a little definition for Success Success is finding God's will as early in life as possible and then doing it. That's the measurable. That means that there are some standard things that are true for all of us, but there's a uniqueness to God's will. That means that success is different for every person in here, and it's similar. There's some similarities and some dissimilarities. 
George W. Truett said that. Success is finding God's will as early in life as possible and then doing it. So success has to do with design. If I find the design in something, then I can be successful. It's finding God's design in my life and doing it. What is God's design? As Brother Tony saying, in being a father. It's not culture's design. What is God's design? And I fulfill that design when I stand before God. I've been successful. What is God's design in this church service? God has a design. He has a purpose. He has a function in this church service. And a pastor ought to know that. And he needs to put those particular functions in that service to make sure that that design is satisfied to please the Lord. Now, we can know those things intellectually, and I've kind of hammered that with you each week. But here's the challenge, and this is what I want to bring to your attention this morning. That in order to achieve God's purpose, you're going to have to deal with discouragement. It's not enough just to know your purpose. You've got to have the tenacity to be able to fulfill that purpose. And the tenacity doesn't come to your, from yourself. You see, here's what I know. I'm old enough to believe this because I've experienced it. God will bring you to the place where you have spent all that you have. And I'm not talking about your money. I'm talking about your physical energy, your mental energy, your emotional energy. There's nothing left to give. And all that you have is gone. And if you're going to finish the course that God has designed for you, it's going to be the grace of God. And so you need the tenacity that God gives you to fulfill the purpose that God has designed for you. Someone said that the will of God has three components, finding it, following it, and finish it. Find the will of God, follow the will of God, and finish the will of God. I want to ask you a question. Which one of those three components is the most difficult? Finding the will of God, following the will of God, or finishing the will of God? Now, most people would say this. They would say the most difficult part of that formula, if you want to call that a formula, is finding the will of God. In fact, that's one of the most common questions that spiritual leaders get is, how can I know God's will? But that's not the most difficult part. And it's not finishing the will of God because finishing it is a part in the, is, is a result of what you do in the middle. The middle part is the most difficult part following the will of God because it involves adversity, it involves stresses, it involves trials. And there are three categories of people here this morning concerning the purpose of God. First of all, there are many women and teenagers here that have never considered their purpose. You, you've never thought about, why, why has God designed me? What is God's purpose for my life? And I want you to know that if you've never done that, you're missing the best that God has for your life. I don't know who it was that said it, but I love the statement that God always gives his best to those who leave the choice to him. He always does. And if you're here this morning, you've never considered God's best for your life. You've never considered God's purpose. You're missing out on something. And the first part of God's purpose for your life, the first part of God's design is that you become a Christian. That you trust Him as your Savior. That you become a child of God. And when you do that, you're you're on the pathway to becoming discover God's design. And I spend a lot of time on that. I'll not do that this morning. The second group of people are people that have forgotten their purpose. 
There was a time when they discovered the purpose of God. They got involved with it, but something happened. And in these series of messages, I, I gave four particular things that happen to people that get us off track. And all of them happen to each of us. And when we do that, we just forget God's purpose. We, we miss it. We knew what it was. We were active in it. But then after a while, we say, you know, I used to do that, but I'm not doing it anymore. And I'm not going to rehash those things this morning. But some of you used to do the will of God, but you're not doing it anymore. You forgot it. But this morning, I want to address the third category of people. And those are people that are struggling with their purpose. You're on the path. You're obeying the Lord. You're doing what God has told you to do. You know what the objective is. You're daily engaged with it. But here's the problem. It isn't coming to pass. It's a struggle. You even kind of see what the finish line is, but it's so far away. Have you ever had a dream for something that maybe you started out with and it was just so clear? It was just so good. It was so Christ-honoring. And your motives were pure, you thought. You said, you know, if I could do that, I would honor the Lord. Uh, maybe it was to be married. And that just hasn't happened. And the years have passed. And maybe it was to have a child. And for whatever reason, you haven't had a child. Maybe it's been the death of a loved one or, or, or a friend. Someone close in your family and And you had this dream of experiencing life with them. And for some reason, God permitted the death to come into your life, and it's hurt you. Maybe it was God gave you a child, and you said, Lord, I'm going to raise this child to to serve you and to love you. And they have chafed against that, and they have rebelled, not just against your ideals, but against the, the biblical paradigms, the biblical commands. And it has broken your heart. It has broken God's heart. Maybe it's your career. You, you've gotten involved with something that you thought would, would deliver things, and it just hasn't done that. And in your obedience to God, just trying to fulfill the will of God, it just seems like there's just ashes. It just seems like everything is going wrong. And, and, and you're going to church. You're giving to the Lord. You're reading your Bible. You're doing what you're supposed to do, but it's a struggle. I have a close friend, and he surrendered to be a missionary, and that was his whole goal. He went to school, Christian college. He majored in missions and went about raising the money and so forth. He went to the mission field, and while he was there, he became very sick. He visited doctors, and of course, any time you go to a doctor, it's expensive, whether it's in America or a foreign field, but without the support of loved ones and so forth. And he didn't get well, and then he came back to the States, and he got a little bit better, and then he went back, and he, he got worse. And finally, he, he came home, resigned from the mission board after about two years of trying to work through this, and he went into depression. He just felt like this. This is just, this is just fruitless. I, I was so, and I talked to him a number of times. I remember I sat down in the restaurant with him a while back for about three hours, just listening to him, trying to encourage him. 
I'm, he's, Rick, I'm just so disappointed. I gave my life to this. I just knew that God was going to use my family and myself. And now here I'm working at a, at a store with my degree in Bible and missions. You, you talk about a frightening thing. You go to school like myself and uh, you go out and fill out an application to work somewhere. Where would you go to college right now? What's your major Bible? Now, I'm not dismissing that. But that's not going to get you a well-paying job somewhere, you know. And you better be right on that thing. And my friend who was right, he was dead on. He did what God wanted him to do. And, and felt abandoned from God. And felt disappointment in his heart. And, and just struggled with his purpose for a long time. It affected his wife. I remember sitting down with his wife with tears rolling down her face. She said, I love my husband. And she said, I will stay with him forever. But she said, I, I want to fix him. And I want to help him, but I don't know what to do. I don't know how to help him. You have your Bible open there, Proverbs. Look at Proverbs chapter 13. Look at verse 12. Proverbs chapter 13 and verse 12. The Bible says, hope deferred maketh the heart sick. I just want to look there at the first part of the verse. Hope deferred. Hope that is put off. An unfulfilled expectation. A dream that is deferred. Watch this. It makes your heart sick. It discourages you. It affects you emotionally. I believe that what I'm talking about this morning is one of the the primary causes of suicide. I believe that people, some people, many people, they become so frustrated over their failure to achieve a good purpose, not a bad purpose. And they have so identified their identity is so much in that, and they realize that it's not going to happen, and listen carefully, that they lose hope, and they cannot see themselves getting over the hump emotionally. And so in the moment, in that moment, they, as someone said, they give a long-term solution to a short-term problem. And they take their life. And there may be someone here this morning, you've lost hope. Your, your dream has died. And you're just struggling. You're trying to obey the Lord. And you've agreed intellectually with the things I've said in recent weeks. And you've said, yeah, Rick, I believe success is related to purpose. But I'm not experiencing any success. And I agree with you, but I, I'm, I'm pushing back a little bit. Well, this message is for you. As I prepared this, I, I read about a, a famous Hollywood actor, and uh, he took his life, and he had no peace. He left this note, and here's what he said. This is profound to me. He said, I committed suicide because I am boring and because I've, I have already lived long enough. I am boring, and I have already lived long enough. That's sad. I don't mean this critically. Not sitting in judgment on this man. I am boring. And I've lived long enough. I'm going to tell you, when you get to the place where life is boring and you're boring and there's nothing else to live for, and there's no hope, there's nothing on the horizon, then after a while the sparks go out. 
there's no need for that. Many years ago, there was a lawyer that was in deep depression. And he was so much so that his friends kept razors and knives away from him because they feared that he would take his life. During the season in his life, he wrote these words. He said, I am now the most miserable man living. Whether I shall, listen, he said, whether I shall ever be better, I cannot tell. You ever felt that way? Whether I shall ever be better, I cannot tell. I awfully forebode, I shall not. Well, those are very intentional words. The foreboding, I shall not. I don't think I'm coming out of this. But he did get better, and he became one of our presidents. Abraham Lincoln penned those words. If I could boil this issue down that I'm talking about this morning, it would be discouragement, this this season that we all get into. And everybody experiences discouragement. Everybody does. The problem is not discouragement. The problem is getting stuck there. Charles Stanley said this. He said, disappointment is inevitable, but discouragement is a choice. And I think that's true. You're going to be disappointed. But what you do with that disappointment is going to determine what happens with your life. And your choices are going to make you or break you. Now, out of disappointment, a process is initiated. And I want to give this to you quickly and then give you some practical things that will help you from the Word of God. Here, here's the cycle, this negative downward cycle, vicious cycle that we get involved with. If, if you don't catch this, this message is for somebody. I always pray for one. Maybe it's a lack of faith. I don't pray for two. But I pray for one. Lord, help somebody. First of all, there's disappointment. Then there's discouragement from the disappointment. Then there's despair. And then there's depression. And then if the depression is not dealt with, there's death. Now briefly, let me comment on each one of those. Disappointment is when your expectations aren't met. Well, I thought this job was going to be better. I thought that uh, I'd be married by now. I thought we'd have a baby by now. I thought my ministry would be more fruitful by now. And your expectations are set up. They're not satisfied. And then discouragement comes in. And you believe that because of unbelief, you think, well, God's not working in this situation. This is not of God. This is of the devil. And so your mind gets twisted around and you can't see God in it. So you're discouraged. And then after discouragement stays for a while, despair comes, and you fully embrace the lie of Satan. And, and here's, where, here's the definition of despair. There's no hope. It's not going to get better. This marriage is not going to get better. We won't ever have kids. Or if we don't have kids, I'm not going to get satisfied. This job will never get better. And then depression is just a pattern of wrong thinking where it's a stronghold in your life. And then, of course... Death there is suicide, where you take your life. I've talked to people that have been in this cycle before. I've been in this cycle before, where it has just wound you up and spit you out. The children of Israel were in the wilderness. They were disobeying the Lord because of their lack of faith. But there's a statement made about them that when I read it, I say, boy, that's me too many times. 
had you turn to Numbers, look at Numbers chapter 21 and verse 4. You may want to underline some things here. It says about them as they journeyed in Numbers 21, 4, and they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to compass the land of Edom. Now here's what I want you to see. And the soul of the people was much discouraged because of the way. Please note that. The soul of the people was much discouraged because of the way. Did you know that, that your body can be tired, but your soul will not be tired? Uh, to be very frank with you, my body is tired most of the time. But my soul need not be tired. But when your soul is t- tired, it affects every other area in your life. And the Bible here says that the soul was tired in the people. They, they were discouraged because... Of the way of what they were experiencing. They were discouraged. And when people, listen, when people can't, when people get discouraged, they can't hear God speak. All they hear is the negativity. They hear the enemy speak. They hear their circumstances shout, but they're, they're, they, they have a wrong perspective. God lifted Moses to take the people out of Egypt. And um, he called Moses to, to be their leader and so forth. And this is very interesting. At the very moment, he said, Moses, go tell the people that you're going to take them out. But they could not hear him. This is an interesting study in the book of Exodus. Do you know why they couldn't hear him? It wasn't because they were physically deaf, but they were deaf because of discouragement. The Bible says in Exodus chapter 6 and verse 9, that Moses spake so unto the children of Israel that he said, he said, we're going out of here. Watch this. But they hearkened not unto Moses. Now what, look at this. For anguish of spirit and for cruel bondage. Their spirit was anguish. They were in a survivor's mode. They had gotten to the place where they were just concerned with keeping their head above water. And so... They, they couldn't hear God's message to them. They lost hope. I wonder how many times you come to church here and you, you do not hear the voice of God through the word of God because you bring your burden in here and it becomes your filter. God wants to talk to you and your spirit is so anguished, you're so discouraged, you're so full of despair and depression that that, that becomes your filter, that becomes your lens. And, and God wants to shatter that so that you can, and he may not lift the burden, but he can give you a different paradigm on it. The dictionary defines discouragement as a loss, listen, a loss of confidence or enthusiasm. It means to be dispirited. Have you ever lost, lost confidence? I told a friend of mine several years ago, I said, I, I've just lost my confidence. I don't have any confidence anymore. Some synonyms for discouragement are being disheartened, demoralized, to be beaten down by circumstances, maybe by your company where you work. Now, what are these factors in this stage that keep us stuck in discouragement? I don't know how far I'll get this morning. I just have a handful of them, but I don't want to hold you too long. Let, let me give you at least the first one. 
Listening to wrong voices will keep you in discouragement. When you listen to the wrong voices, I believe we underestimate the power of the voices that we hear. And I'm not talking about, you know, you you hear voices in the car. I'm talking about literally the people that talk to you. Somebody said one time, and I think there's wisdom in it, the the most important conversation you have is the one you have with yourself. I think it's Nehemiah chapter 5 and verse 7. The Bible says that Nehemiah consulted with himself. What kind of voices speak to you? The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 33, Be not deceived, evil communications corrupt good manners. When you hang around evil people, the Bible says they will corrupt you. They will corrupt your behavior. You say, oh, no, preacher. No, they don't bother me. I want you to notice the first three words in that verse. Be not deceived. In fact, if you if that's your reply and you push back on that, you're deceived. Ben Franklin put it in a little more playful way. He said, you can't lay down with the dogs and not get up with the fleas. Listen, you don't catch health from people. You catch germs from people. And you're not going to hang around with negative people and not have them affect your life in a negative way. You know, sometimes we come to church and sometimes Christians struggle with this because we're not supposed to be discouraged. I mean, we're Christians. We don't do that. And so we learn to pretend that, that we're not discouraged. I was on my phone last night for about 45 minutes texting with a pastor friend that is out of the ministry. And um, he he was just sharing regret, just deep, deep regret, because he had committed immorality and had left his family and divorced his wife. And uh, at the very end of the text, after we'd gone back and forth, he said, you know, he said, I have a sermon that I wrote 40 years ago that's still in my Bible that I never preached. And he gave me the outline, and he said, maybe, maybe you could preach this sometime. It just broke my heart. Maybe I could preach it sometime. You know, like, he, he has nothing to offer. Now, I know he maybe can't pastor a church. Here, here Rick, it's yours. And then he put, he said, I know that's pretentious of me to say that. No, that man has value. He did wrong. He messed up, but he's got a lot of value. And sometimes we get discouraged and we come in the house of God and we don't want anybody to know it. And I want you to know you need to be careful. You don't want to be that guy. You know, the one that when people ask you how you're doing, you you tell them. I don't want to be that guy. But every now and then I, I will I will lower my defenses within my band of brothers and I'll tell them. And I'll tell them the truth. And the Bible says in First Thessalonians chapter five and verse fourteen. Now we exhort you, brethren, there's some people we need to warn. We need to warn the unruly. 
don't have time to exposit this, but it's a fascinating verse. It's a great verse for counseling, for dealing with your children. When people are unruly, they need to be warned. When people are weak, it has the idea of they're weak in the faith. They don't know what they're doing. They're, they're making uninformed choices. They need some help. We support them. Okay, they're not in rebellion. They're just, they need some information. They need some education, some assistance. But when a person is feeble-minded, that's the, the old English word for discouraged. The Bible says we comfort them. And the word comfort there is the word encourage them. We encourage them. Now, listen carefully. Each one of those relationships is huge. You do not warn a feeble-minded person. And you do not comfort an unruly person. You, you determine where they are, and you give them the particular word that they need for them. But when a person is discouraged, uh, they, they, their heart needs to be lifted. Have you ever become more discouraged because of what a well-meaning person said? I was having a discipling meeting with a friend that I had poured my life into and, and loved and still love very, very much. And uh, we were meeting over a meal and talking and so forth and giving the, the various information, talking. It was a mutual relationship, you know, wasn't top down, just kind of a connecting thing, and going through some stuff. And uh, anyhow... Um, I, I really forget the content, but I remember the comment. And he meant so well. He meant so well, but it was so discouraging to me because I was helping him. And he helped me too, don't misunderstand. But it was more where I was helping him with his family and so forth. And he said, Brother Rick, I want you to know something. He said, I always defend you when people talk bad about you. And at first, I didn't know what to say. I said, you mean like Tony Ellenberg when he says <laughs> And uh, I said, well, thank you. But obviously, I never forgot it. Of course, what would you think if somebody said that about you? Well, man, what are they saying and who's saying it? Now, here's the truth. The truth is, is when you're a leader, when you're a leader, people are going to talk about you, okay? But you still don't want to know about it, you know? You, you still would like so, to be in some, some bliss about it, just to, to be blissfully stupid about it. But my good friend was defending me when people talked bad about me, and he told me and, and held my hands up to encourage me. And I would still spend time with him, but that's not the way to encourage somebody. Choose your words carefully. There were two tribes that, before they went into the Canaan, the new country. That they, they petitioned Joshua and they said, we would like to stay over on the other side of the river. He said, no, you need to come over here. And they begged him. And finally, God said, it's okay, let them do that. And he said, but you cannot do that. You cannot do that until the, the fighting and the wars are settled. And in Numbers chapter 32 and verses 6 through 9, it gives us a narrative of that. And Moses said unto the children of Gad and to the children of Reuben, those are the tribes, 
Shall your brethren, watch this, shall your brethren go to war and shall ye sit here? Watch this. Wherefore discourage ye, and I have, I have this underlined, the heart of the children of Israel. Not the body, the emotions, the heart, the psyche. Shall you discourage the heart of the children of Israel from going over into the land which the Lord God hath given them? You know, what we do, our actions discourage people sometimes by what we do and what we don't do. Thus did your fathers. He said, remember your fathers a generation ago when I sent them from Kadesh Barnea to see the land. For when they went up into the valley of Eskel and saw the land. And here it is again. They discouraged a different group. They discouraged the heart of the children of Israel that they should not go up into the land which the Lord had given them. Discouraging the heart of people. Don't be that person. And if you have people like that in your life, and sometimes if it's your boss, if it's somebody in your household, you, you, you can't do anything about it. But you, you need to put on the armor of God to protect your mind against those things. In Deuteronomy chapter 1 and verse 28, the Bible says, Whither shall we go up? Our brethren have discouraged our heart. This is the people after the 12 spies came back. Our brethren, not our enemies, our friends, our fellow church members, our family members, our brethren have discouraged our hearts, saying by their words. And they gave, they gave a dismissal picture of God. The people is greater and taller than we. The cities are great and walled up to heaven. Moreover, we have seen the sons of the Anakims there. It's not the enemy sometimes that discourages. It's us that discourage one another. In Deuteronomy chapter 20, the Bible gives a military standard. This is interesting. They, they said if this is going to be true in the, in the military of Israel. Deuteronomy 28, And the officers shall speak further unto the people. And they shall say, What man is there, watch this, that is fearful and faint-hearted? Let him go and return unto his house. Why? Lest his brethren's heart faint as well as his heart. Because if you're negative and you're fearful and you're discouraged, we're going to catch your disease and we're going to lose the war. Remember when, when Gideon, God wanted him to reduce the, the army. Remember the first thing he said? How many of you guys are afraid? And over 10,000 guys went home. That was the first, first principle that reduced the number was fear, being afraid. Parents must be careful of this with their children. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 21. Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. Lest they be discouraged. I have a wonderful opportunity to, to build my children and, and still do. I sent a text to three of my children that live out of town this morning and said, I hope you have a wonderful day in the Lord's house. But I can also destroy my children by destroying their spirit. Lest they be discouraged. I wonder if there's someone here this morning that your mom or dad provoked you to anger. Because it's not just fathers that do this. And you're discouraged and you're still bitter at your mom or your dad. 
But you're an adult. You're 30, 40, 50 years old. And you're still angry. But here's the problem. You're bleeding over everybody else from your wound of anger. And people want to pull away from you because of your bitterness towards other people. You've got to get that settled. Leaders need encouragement. In Deuteronomy chapter 1 and verse 38, Joshua the son of Nun, which standeth before thee, he shall go in thither. He's going to take you into the promised land. Moses is not going to do it. He forfeited it. And, and he says, encourage Joshua. Encourage him. Because a leader has special temptations. He has special trials. I will promise you that on any given Sunday that the people that experience the greatest attacks from Satan on the Lord's Day are the people that stand here and those that, that teach and lead in other functions because they get the biggest targets. It's not because they're the most godly people necessarily, but they've got the biggest targets. And Satan wants to distract them, and they need your encouragement. They don't need your correction. They don't need, uh, well, we don't have any coffee. The coffee's not always made. What, what, what's wrong? And, and, and all of a sudden, the lesson that was prayed over and, and, and put together is just kind of washed away. The, the dispirited person takes over, and uh, I don't do anything right I've worked hard all week. I've worked 50 hours. I barely got my Sunday school lesson together. And the people are mad because their favorite flavor of coffee is not in here. Encourage your leader. In Deuteronomy chapter 3 and verse 28, the Bible says, But charge Joshua. Encourage him. Strengthen him. This is a different scripture. Same book, two chapters later. Why? For he shall go over before this people, and Joshua shall cause them to inherit the land. Now watch this. Here's what he's saying. It's your loss when you have a discouraged leader. Because he's the one that's going to help you to accomplish some things. Encourage your leader. Pastors are to be encouragers. Acts chapter 14 and verse 22 one of the works as they went there to Antioch, the Bible says that they confirmed the souls of the disciples. It means they discipled them. They made them firm. And they exhorted them. They motivated them. They encouraged them. Now, why did they encourage them? Here's what, look at the text. To continue. You know why? Because it's hard to continue. To continue in the faith and that we must, through much tribulation, enter into the kingdom of of God. My job is not just to instruct. My job is not just to get up here and and give verb tenses and give the meaning of Greek words. There's a time and place for that. I am to teach. The pastor is to be a teacher, Ephesians chapter 4. But your heart is to be touched. You're, you're to be motivated. You're, you're to be inspired. You're to be helped. And there is a time for rebuke, 2 Timothy 4. There's a time for exhortation. Someone said a word of encouragement during a failure is worth more than an hour of praise after a success. 
I like that. A word of encouragement during a failure is worth more than an hour of praise, is worth more than a word of praise after a success. People need to be encouraged. I read a, a great story this week about Sir Walter Scott. This is a story of history. It's brief, but it's powerful. And the poet Robert Burns, who was older than Walter Scott. Sir Walter Scott was a young boy, and when he grew up, he was brilliant. I think it was uh, it wasn't Henry Ford. I forget the guy's name, but if I said it, you would know we were talking about this past week in a meeting with our family. But this, this man was an inventor in America, and, and the teacher couldn't see it. She sent him home. It was Thomas Edison. She sent him home with a note on his back said, uh, your, to his mom, said, your, your son is stupid. Keep him home. The truth is he had a higher IQ than the teacher. She just didn't have the ability to teach him, but she couldn't, she couldn't see that, or he couldn't teach whether male or female. But Thomas Edison was, was a brilliant man, but misunderstood. Sir Walter Scott was like that in that they used dunce caps literally in that day with a spiral. They would put those things up and put them in a corner because they couldn't keep up with the lessons. One, one of my roommates in college, his name was Danny. We had a teacher at school, and I, I was always one of my roommates one time. She said, I, I know what you are. I know what you are. I said, what am I? He said, well, you're the brain and we're the muscle. He said, I figured you out. You get us to do stuff, and you think it up and get us to execute it. I said, well, whatever you say, I guess I'll wear the, wear the brand, whatever you can say. And so my, my friend Danny, I said, Danny, I got an idea. And, and he would, you could get him to do anything. I said, why don't you wear a dunce cap to class today? He said, I'll do it. So we got some tape together, and we made this dunce cap. And he's walking down through campus with this dunce cap on, and he walks into the class. And the teacher was really educated. It was British lit or something, and she was just brilliant. And, uh, again, remember, I was not the muscle, so I was like an innocent guy over there kind of looking around. And my roommate was over there with a dunce cap sitting on. And that's the end of that story. It had nothing to do with the sermon. I just thought of it and enjoyed it. <laughs> but Sir Walter Scott, they actually did that. Him, they put him in the corner, kind of like quiet time or whatever, which doesn't work. But what they did to people, but it was to mock people back then. And he He struggled. He ended up at a, at a large gathering. There were some well-known people, some brilliant people that were there. Robert Burns, the famous poet. And uh, he was standing before uh, this work of art. Robert Burns was with some other men. And underneath it was, was uh, a line of poetry. He just had a line. It didn't have the whole poem. And it didn't have the author's name. And he said, this is a beautiful painting. And he said... Uh, that's a beautiful line, and I, I've heard that poem, but I cannot remember who wrote it, and I can't remember the rest of the poem. Well, what Burns did not realize is that Sir Walter Scott, who was about 12 years old when this happened, who at school consistently wore the nuts cap, came up beside Robert Burns and stood there, and he, he mentioned the name of the poet. He said, this is the poet that wrote that. 
And Walter Scott, the older man, looked down at Burns and stared at him, and, and he began to quote the poem, the entire poem, by rote. And Sir Walter Scott, who was one of the most famous men at that meeting, he tousled the hair of Sir Walter Scott as a boy. And here's what he said. He said, son, you will be a great man in Scotland one day. And he was. But here's what he said, and here's what I want you to get. Sir Walter Scott said, I never forgot that day when I met Robert Burns. And he told me that I would be a great man one day. Basically, what he said was this, and he affirmed to me. And he believed me when all that I knew in my life from significant people was discouragement. As I close this message this morning, I want to ask you, who are you listening to? What voices are you listening to? Is, is there someone in your life, if it's possible, you need to kind of excise them out? Listen, if, if, if you're listening to talk radio all the time, this is negative. I'm not saying you don't listen to it at all, okay? But that's all. You're just going to become a negative person. Find some great music and put it on. Get some of Tony's music. Get some music. Get, get some positive podcasts. Get some sermons. Get something that's going to feed your soul and help you so you're not overwhelmed with discouragement. Is there something you need to excise? Is there something you need to add into your life? Are there people in your life that you need to run to that can speak a word of life into your spirit? That's one of the reasons I love to hang around with Tony. Because he speaks life into my heart. About two months ago, I I had a doctor's appointment. I pulled up at the doctor's office, and a friend of mine called me from out of state. He said, what are you doing? I said, I'm going to the doctor. He said, how many doctors do you see? And I told him, I said, I see so many. And he began to ask some questions. He's a very, very good friend of mine. And he said, well, how do you, how do, you do this? I said, I don't, I don't do this. I said, I don't do well with it sometimes. I said, in fact. Are you listening to me? I said, in fact. I said, sometimes I feel like I'm going to die prematurely. I said, I know I have this disease in my body and and there are some other factors. I just feel like I'm not going to live long. And immediately, immediately, he said, Rick, that's not true. He said, that's the devil. That puts those thoughts into your mind. I was out in a parking lot by myself. But those thoughts were in my mind. But I needed I needed a friend. I needed a companion. To be able to come along and remind me. And remind me. That there is another truth. And to help me. That the Lord could be the lifter up of my head. To bow your head with me, okay? I'll finish this sermon at another time. I'm getting real good at that, finishing sermons, aren't I?